I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at KindFarmsInc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is KindFarmsInc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is RYAN10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today on An Actor Despairs, we have a wonderful episode with iconic director Brad Turner. We're here to talk about his new film, Trigger Point, with Barry Pepper. However, he has directed so many other projects and so many episodes of television, it's so insightful to hear someone that has such an episodic legacy. He's directed episodes of 24, Homeland, 21 Jump Street, just to name a few. We're here to talk about this film that he made. It's incredible. I love Barry Pepper. Brad, thank you for coming on. So much love. Brad Turner, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing, brother? Thank you. I'm great, man. It's great to have you on, man. I mean, you are you are an icon. I mean, you've directed <laughs> over 300 episodes of television, 13 movies, I think. Is, is 13 correct? Uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, what a career. I mean, I mean, you've just you've worked on every show from Jump Street to 24 to Homeland to, you know, ones back in the 80s that I like. It's incredible, brother. I mean, I'm so curious to hear about your journey and how you got started. And I I just had the chance to watch Trigger Point. And I really love that. Barry Pepper. I've always been a big, big fan of his. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm just so excited to have you on. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm loving being here. Awesome. So you grew up in Canada, right? That's correct. Yes, that's where I started my career. Talk to me about that. What did your parents do? Uh, I, they're not related to the business. My, my mother was a, a school teacher and my father was an auto mechanic. So nothing to do with the film business at all. I, I actually, interestingly enough, I grew up in that town that's in the movie Trigger Point. So the, the small town that's portrayed in the movie is my hometown. So I grew up there and had all my childhood there until I went to school. Wow, that's amazing. And so that is in Canada. That's not New York. That's in Canada. Yes. So beautiful. I love that you chose fall for that film. It's absolutely like it just looks great on the film. And it's just kind of the relation to 
what's happening in the story. You know, it's incredible. But talk to me about growing up, you know, having those parents. Where did the artistry bug come in for you? Uh, yeah, it was, you know, I grew up in this small town, Bayfield, which is portrayed in, in Trigger Point. And, uh, you know, I had the basic education you'd have in any small town uh, in America or Canada. I, uh, I, got, I was advised by a um, uh, shop teacher, believe it or not, a sheet metal shop teacher that there was a television arts course in a, in a school um, in London, Ontario, which is about an hour from where I grew up in Bayfield. And I decided to go there and uh, check that out. And, and I thought I was, you know, it was for TV repair. I didn't realize it was actually a production uh, course. No way. And wow. uh, I never looked back from that. I mean, basically, that was a turning point. Everybody has a turning point in their life. And that was a major turning point for me. And I took a television arts course and, and became like a floor manager at a television station and learned how to, that, you know, learned how to shoot um, film style with video at first, and then slowly moved into being a first assistant director. And then after I moved on, I, uh, you know, I did a show called SCTV as a first assistant director. I did, uh, you know, a couple of iconic TV shows. And uh, a director once said to me, you know, you should start thinking about directing. Yeah. And uh, that basically kickstarted my career. That's incredible. And so when you grew up in Canada, you know, did you have a strong relationship to American content and films or was it just, you know, a lot of local content at that time? You know, I, I know back, you know, there was probably three networks and movies. It wasn't what it is now with Netflix and, you know, 5,000 streaming services. Like what, what was inspiring to you? Uh, yeah, you're right. There was, there was literally only three or four networks. And uh, where I grew up, you could hardly even get a signal, even you know, because it was there was no such thing as cable. So uh, I think that uh, my inspiration came from my father, who was a great storyteller, and my father would tell these great long stories at the dinner table. And I think that you know, essentially, to be a filmmaker, even today, you have to be a good storyteller. You have to know what a good beginning, middle, and an end is, and how to keep people entertained and I think the basis of my skill is my father sitting around the dinner table telling stories and learning from him that's so beautiful that's amazing and and as you went to that school you know was that the equivalent of undergrad you know like in a college is that what that would be the equivalency of yeah the interesting thing is that I never went to college I never took post-secondary school education this was a high school course oh it was a high school course yeah Wow. which was really unusual. There was only two offered in the country and, uh, and I was in one of them and uh, I had already uh, been accepted at a university and I was about to go and I got two jobs, full-time jobs um, working in the industry. And when I went to meet the, the guidance people at the university, they said, you know what? Our graduates aren't getting those job offers. So why don't you take the job for a year, see how it goes and you, you're, you can come back and, and take our course for four years if you want. But if your career starts taking off, um, it's probably worth it. So I took their advice uh, and I never looked back. I never went to post-secondary school education. My film school was the practical element. 
That is so beautiful. I love that. That's incredible. And while you were learning, you know, did you have like a great mentor that was really helping you figure things out? Yeah, the, my, my two mentors were the people at this educational television station that, that uh, was attached to the course at H.B. Beale Technical School in uh, London, Ontario, Canada. And the two mentors were the guys that ran the educational television program. And they're the ones that gave me a full-time job after I graduated right out of high school. So that was the job I was referring to earlier. Wow, that's amazing. And so when you did this, you know, talk to me about like what the Canadian television and, and the projects you were working on landscape looked like. Was it mostly just, you know, the ABC, NBC, CBS content or, you know, what was the Canadian broadcasting doing things? You know, what, what was going on at this time? Yeah, I, I ended up uh, uh, starting with uh, basically the interesting thing about it was I was first AD and I was doing a lot of that American work and the Disney channel um, hired me to direct uh, episodes of danger Bay because I was the first AD on it. Wow. Well, I started my career directing danger Bay. And then as I developed, I uh, got accepted by the Canadian broadcasting corporation, started doing one hour dramas. And then basically from there, uh, my career blossomed because I had already had a connection with the American like um, service work, I guess you call it. Yeah. And uh, I just I just started meeting more and more showrunners and producers. And, uh, you know, word uh, got out. And uh, eventually uh, through a show called La Femme Nikita, which was the original. La Femme I, I remember it very well. Yeah. Um, uh, that showrunner, Joel, Joel Cernow. Um, created 24 and that was in, in a short sort of period of time that's how I moved to Hollywood and became uh, LA director was uh, was the show 24 which I directed 46 episodes of. yeah that's and, and you're credited as a producer and co-creator right not co-creator just a uh, executive producer and um, and I, I, I guess I produced well over 100 episodes but mainly I directed 46 of them Got it. And, and if for those actors listening, you know, if you could break it down or and the directors listening, you know, when you come in and you direct an episode of a television, usually the way it works is that there's a pilot that is directed by sometimes a really big name, sometimes, you know, just someone who's also very similar to yourself, working for television for a long time. And they create the mood, the atmosphere and the tone of the show. And then directors come on and kind of have to stick to that vision. Would you say that's fair i think that's very fair i think that it's really important i mean from a director's or from an actor's perspective i would say that you know when you have a they call us visiting directors who aren't attached to the show and are coming in just to do an episode um you know that director should focus and i know i do this focus entirely on the story of that episode yeah you know and not get into who your character is and backstory and all that stuff we we just assume that that's all been done by the actor and that's work that they've, you know, established with the pilot director or whoever, you know, their, their showrunner or whoever's guiding them through the character structure. And what I do is I focus entirely on the story of that episode. So every episode will have its unique story. And I make sure that all of the characters stay on track to tell yeah. that story the best they can. So that's kind of what, as an actor, you'd expect from a director coming in is a fresh look. 
There may be some things visually you do that's a little more interesting and fresh. Yeah. But for the most part, you, you, you know, you, what I've often said is that what I ask the showrunners for is six or seven of their favorite episodes. Yeah. Watch those as a director and then see, you know, basically what was brought to those episodes and do your own version of that. But at the yeah. same time, focus entirely on the story of that episode because every episode has its story. That's so beautiful. And I'm curious, you know, when you started working on 24, I mean, that was, I mean, God, I remember it so well. I mean, that show was the biggest show on the planet, you know, like Kiefer and, and especially that first season, it was just felt like everyone was tuned in and that was like the prime network time. You know, what was it like to, to work on a show that was such a hit, you know, did you, did you feel that while it was happening? Oh, absolutely. Uh, season five, we won the Emmy for. Yeah. Outstanding dr drama. Right. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think we're the last network show to win an Emmy for wow. our best drama. So it's really interesting to hold that record at this point, which is a dubious achievement, I think. Uh, but it's very interesting. Um, you know, we were so focused on what we were doing and, you know, going back to my original, um, you know, when I worked with the CBC in Canada, they very much depended on us to be filmmakers. Like they, we really didn't have a lot of people on set guiding us through the thing. The director was there making the episode and that was the way it worked. And if I did a mini series, you know, that was all my vision, uh, the way we shot it, the way we established it, much like making a pilot. Yeah. And when I got on 24, it was one of the really unusual TV shows, especially at that level that allowed me to be a filmmaker. It, it, you know, Kiefer expected that from the directors. He expected to hear what we had to say. He relied on us to know whether he, it was working, whatever he was doing was working. And um, he loved the consistency. One of the reasons I ended up doing 46 episodes is because he loved to see the, a familiar face in the director's chair. So Yeah, that must be really, really nice. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, talk to me. Did you feel like... You know, one of the reoccurring themes on this podcast is, you know, for actors, it's finding your voice. For directors, it's finding your style, you, you know, your aesthetic. Do you feel like, you know, I know you did 21 Jump Street and so much before this, but do you feel like 24 is really where you came into your, to your being and your, your own style as a director? Uh, there's no question. I think I came to 24 with that, with that in mind. I think I, I had a style and, a, you know, it's simple. It's, it's really simple. It's like being a good storyteller. That's really what it's all about. And if you can just pare it all down, because there's so much noise when it comes to making movies and TV shows, there's so much noise out there, but really ultimately you're folding back page one and you're starting to tell the story and hopefully you will engage the audience right up to the end of the book. Yeah. You know, that's really what it's all about. And I, I think that it's really important, I, I think, for actors and directors to recognize that that the person playing the role is the character. The character can't be structured on something you think the character is. Yeah, you have to structure a character and and let them be a storyteller uh, based on who they are emotionally, physically, however you want to um, couch it. You have to be. Uh, you have to say that's the person playing the role. I mean, in, in, in the case of Barry Pepper played 
Nicholas Shaw. Yeah. He did a great job. He, you know, we, Barry and I talked a lot about uh, what his instincts were as a person that, to play this role. And uh, I didn't get in his way because uh, the one thing a director has to be able to do is get out of the way of an actor. Yeah. Let the actor find the moment. We guide the, the story based on our characters. And our characters, if we see them as living human beings with their own traits and their own emotional levels, we can tell the story a lot easier uh, just accepting that. Yeah. Once you resist it as a director, I think you're you have more trouble. I mean, both uh, Colm Fior and Barry, um, you know, really understood their characters, and I, we didn't talk about their characters other than in in, uh, in pre-production when we're kind of rehearsing the scenes. We didn't talk about the character, and I did more listening than talk about the character. I answered questions, but I wasn't I wasn't you know instilling on them who this person was because. It's really hard to do an honest performance if you're trying to be someone you're not. Yeah. It's much easier to be the person. And, okay, I, I'm, an, I'm a person. I'm going to play a role. I'm going to completely immerse myself in it. So I can't have any insecurities about, like, how I feel about things. Yeah. At all. I have to completely, like, open up and say, this is who I am. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to base it on all of my emotional reactions all my uh, gut reactions, all, you know, whatever I do. And uh, that's the, the type of actor I like working with that tells me how they're feeling about stuff. Doesn't and, come up to you and says, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know, it's like that, that you should be doing that. You know, let yeah. me, yeah, I love that. Exactly. Does that, yeah, that's does the way that I work. work. Yeah. You know, like when, does, is that working for you? The answer should, the default answer should be yes. Yeah, because if it's working for you and you're asking me that question, then it must be working. Yeah. So, you know, that's the only way you can honestly play a character is to really feel it. Yeah. You can't be fabricating emotion. You have to find find it there. There's something in the material that's going to create this emotional moment. Um, it's going to be natural. It's not going to be manufactured. Totally. That's so beautifully put. I love that. And before we, we dump, jump into Trigger Point fully, I'd, I'd love to ask you a few more questions. You know, while you were doing 24, did you start getting movie offers to direct as well? Like, you know, because that was such a hit show, I imagine studios knew who you were, you know, and this was like right before, you know, Marvel took over fil the film industry. Talk to me about, you know, working in, in Hollywood in that capacity. Did, did a lot of doors start to open to you because of this? Uh I was so busy doing that show. It yeah. took my whole year to, to do it. And I was, I'm, I'm really um, a, a filmmaker that was really well-versed in television. And I love doing television. Like that, yeah. that is, and I, to this day, I still love doing television. I love doing this movie, but I was never a movie director. And, and there, was a, there was a time in Hollywood where you were a TV director or a movie director. I think that the closest I ever got to being respected as a movie director was 24 because yeah. you know we had a we had a major film star as our lead and the show was uh, the show was really well respected by not only film actors but filmmakers and yeah. in fact uh, at one point in time they were talking about making a movie uh 24 movie and uh the guy that was writing it was sitting behind me at the final days of shooting uh 
uh, the final 24 episode series. And, um, and he sat forward and said, I don't know how we're going to make a movie better than what you guys do with this TV show. Yeah. And, um, you know, as you know, history has told us there's no 24 movie yet. Now that could happen, but it's tough to make a movie as good as that show was because that, that show was about a full day of 24 hours. So you yeah, have you have this hours. temporal format that it has to adhere yeah. to. Yeah. I think it added a lot. So, so the answer is I didn't get a lot of movie offers, but everybody knows who I am. So that's a good bit of I mean, how could they not? You're a legend. I mean, I'm, I'm going to call the Hollywood Star Association after this and make sure you get a Brad Turner <laughs> star. But uh, you know, I'm such a big fan of all the television work. And, and uh, as an actor, I'm, I'm fascinated. You know, talk to me about when you work on a show where you're doing one or two episodes, going back to what I said earlier about, you know, whoever directed the pilot, set it up, you know, I'll you know, let's say Homeland, do you know what I mean? And you have two movie stars, you know, well, one theater star, but, and, you know, these people have been working for a long time in the show and obviously have their own styles of character and they've been really validated, you know, as a director, how do you come on a set where actors already have their cadences and there's already this kind of aesthetic that you have to stick to and make your own kind of stamp on it? You have to, you know, when you first uh, arrive on a set like Homeland, you have to do a lot of listening. So you spend a lot of time. Uh, you've seen the pilot. You've probably seen maybe some finish. I, I was in episode five, I think, of the first season. Yeah. Season that won the Emmy, somewhere in there, five or six. And we, you know, the show was still like, what do you think? Yeah. Is there a possibility here? And the one thing that show had going for it was their two leads were exceptional. And yeah. I think that, I think that you, you again, just go with what they were doing. Uh, the writing was amazing. The, the production was well uh, oiled machine when I got there. Um, the show looked great. So there was very little for me to do other than again, guide them through the moments and make it, make that my episode as strong as I could be, it could be. Um, I knew the showrunner, Howard Gordon at that point, and, and Howard actually asked me to shoot some scenes for the episodes that had been produced up to that point, the, because they were running a little short, because in those days, we came off of 24, which was a 43 minute show with the yeah. commercials. When was 24 one unit or were there multiple units? No, it was one unit. Wow, okay. So I'll talk about that in a minute, but, but when we did Homeland, we, uh, you know, everybody was writing they're, they're habitually right to 43 minutes. Yeah. And then, but uh, Showtime called and said, listen, these, we have to be longer than 40 minutes. This has to be 50 minutes. So I was shooting additional scenes for episodes that were already produced to, to get the episodes to length. But what ended up happening, I think was that, it made the it made the show focus on the, the tension and more and, and slowed it down and, and took it away from a network pace. Yeah. And I think because it was no commercials and it was showtime. And again, this is earlier in cable, right? 
um, people started to feel like they're watching a movie as opposed to a TV show. Yeah, no, that's, that was the show, I think, that started that kind of style where you could get a movie star to come on. And it was this 10-hour, 12-hour, 14-hour movie. And it was, it, was, it, was, it was an experience that changed the world, you know, and you're very much responsible for that. So thank you for your service. And, and oh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, right before the final question, before I jump into trigger point, I'm curious because for so many actors listening, right, the goal is to get, you know, a co-star or a guest star on a cable or a television show. I'm curious for, for you, Brad, when you're directing an episode, does, do those auditions come your way or do they go to the producers or, you know, talk to me about what makes for a great audition if you can. Yeah, they always they always come to me. That's no amazing. question about it. Yeah. And these days, and these days, of course, and, and you know, it wasn't before COVID. It was also true that I'm, we're getting a lot of, um, you know, auditions now on Zoom, or a lot of auditions on. I guess we used to call it tape, but now it's like video auditions, and I think it'll be more and more the case. So you know, the one thing I would say is that you. When you're auditioning and you're, you know, unfortunately now in a void, you can't even meet the director and have no, get I know. notes. Sort of Although I just, I just did a session on Zoom and it worked really well with the waiting rooms and bringing the actors in. And, oh, I had one of those recently. Yeah, yeah you, it wasn't a callback. You had the the first round. Uh, first round, and wow. then, then we did callbacks, but we did chemistry reads on Zoom, which was pretty cool. That's so cool. The most important thing is get your technical act together. Yeah. So you have decent lighting and decent sound and, you know, learn how to use um, your camera and, and be able to cut out the begin the, the opening and the end, you know, nice and concise. And then from an acting point of view, don't be afraid to bring something to the role. Because one of the things that I think that as a, as a director, we're looking for something. Yeah. We're looking for, you know, just something that's a little different that will make notice. Um, that's really it. And be as honest with your emotional range as you can, you know, be yourself. Um, don't take it personally. If you don't get the callback or whatever, yeah. it's, it's nine times out of 10. It's, it's, uh, I don't know that, you know, this was these four or five, six people were great. And then someone will chime in and say, we wanted a, you know, you know, a specific type. Claire Dane's it, eyes oh, are blue. We needed green eyes in this. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so it has usually has nothing to do with what you're doing, but the way you get noticed is that it's a good, clean image. Yeah. You can hear it really clearly and there's no fumbling around, but most importantly, you bring something to the character. And just yeah. bring something to the character and, and, and do a few takes and then be able to pick the best one and watch it yourself and be objective. You know, it's like... Um, be, be your own director, so to speak, you know? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I, I really appreciate no that. And now let's talk trigger point. You know, talk to me about where did this... Where did this begin? Because I love Barry Pepper. I've loved him for so long. You know, when I was a kid that uh, the Mickey Mantle... You know, that that project he did for HBO was just so incredible and saving Private Ryan. But, uh, you know, talk to me about your relationship with Barry and the script. Where did this all come together? 
I uh, originally, Barry and I worked together on Outer Limits in Vancouver years and years ago while his, when his career was just starting and mine was just starting. Yeah. And uh, it was a memorable experience for me. I'd never forgotten about him since then. And not that I forget about actors, but, you know, some actors uh, just appear and they're so committed and they're so that person uh, that, that that's what really I really respond to as a director Yeah, is a person that comes in with such commitment to a role that they are that person. And it actually can kind of throw you off when, you know, you're commiserating with, with actors and they're having fun and all that stuff. And then one person just addresses you as the character. Uh, it's, it's quite inspiring as a, as a director yeah. to be talking to the character as opposed to the actor playing the character. Totally. And, uh, you make a mental note, I think, at least I do, about, wow, that, I like that commitment because every time I do a show that's not a continuing episodic show on an episodic uh, series, um, I look for that commitment. That's what I look for in, a, in an actor is to just commit. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's not just knowing the lines, it's committing to like every bit of the character. And one of the things I probably learned from Kiefer, the biggest thing I learned from Kiefer was that I could never read a script and say, well, Kiefer's not gonna like that or Kiefer's gonna like this. It was, his commitment was so strong that he would normally take whatever was written on a page and make it work somehow. Even though I may respond to it and like, ooh, that's gonna be, that's gonna be tough to do. Yeah, He will make it work. And it's because you're committed. And I think the best, best way to um, uh, play a character is to think through the world word commitment. So yeah. if you're reading a scene as an actor and you go, there's, this is kind of like, seems silly to me. Forget silly, just commit to it. It won't be silly if you commit to it. And both um, Barry Pepper and Colin Fiore committed to everything in this movie. And this, it made a huge difference to the quality of the movie. Yeah, they and really, then, they played off each other so beautifully. And it's cool to get to watch actors spar like that, you know? Yeah, and, it, and, and it'll make any scene work because you're looking for things in a scene yeah. if you're committed to it. You're looking to, you know, uh, I don't mind an actor saying I can make this work. I don't mind that because that's not a, that's not a, uh, a negative thing on the script. Yeah. It, it, it's basically saying I can commit to this and I'll make it work. And, yeah. and uh, you know, nine times out of 10, my note to um, an actor, if a scene isn't working is, you know what? Don't doubt it. Yeah. Commit to it. Yeah, Don't go, judge go it. Go all the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, uh, that's really where it come, what it comes down to. And to uh, an actor, everyone in this movie is committed to the, the roles they're playing. Yeah. And that you can tell when you watch the movie that there's nobody acting in this movie. They're committed to the role. Yeah, that's incredible. And and tell me, how did, how did the script come your way? I mean, with the, the legacy that you have, brother, I'm sure there was no shortage of scripts that people wanted you to direct. You know, talk to me about what, what about Trigger Point in, interested you? You know, was it was it a mixture of knowing Barry and finding something for both of you or something you wanted? You know, talk to me. Well, um, David Ozer, who runs Landmark, uh, the studio, uh, approached me and uh, the writer, Michael Vickerman, introduced us and said, how would you guys like to make an action movie together? And um, I said, well, if Michael writes it, 
I'll, I'll direct it. Yeah. And um, so it started with a one page uh, outline. And then I gave some notes on it and uh, started to think about how it would it would manifest itself. And Michael went off and did a 15 page outline. Wow. And then we gave more notes and then it turned into a script. And, uh, you know, as you're doing this, you see the actors and Barry was you know, one of the first actors I thought about be perfect for because yeah. um, we're, you know, we're looking for that taken kind of uh, moment. Tough you know, guy, John story. Wick, you know. Yeah, John yeah. Wick. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we were, and as we, as we developed it and, and Barry gave some notes on the script and we, we moved forward, uh, it, it, it sort of developed in that regard. It was, it was a, from the very beginning I was involved. So that's why it turned out to be the movie it is. Wow. That's amazing. So you, I mean, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but you sort of helped co-write it in a way. Yeah. I yeah. said, you know, I, you know what it is? It's authoring a movie. Yeah, okay. There's, got it. There's, there's writing a movie. Yeah. There's author writing. I think, uh, Michael Vigerman authored the movie and I co-authored the movie because I did the visual treatment. I supplied the characters for his story yeah. and, uh, and I guided them in a way that made it interesting that everything was interesting. The action was a lot more interesting. Uh, we were, you know, we, you know, when I approach action, I always approach action based on the location. So I try to make the, the action work with, with, again, great storytelling based on the location as opposed to trying to shoehorn a script into an action sequence. Yeah. A location that may not completely fit. You have to do a little bit of authoring to make the action sequence work for the location so that it looks, you know, organic. Yeah, that's beautiful. And tell me, from, from when you guys did the treatment to the final draft, how, how long was that? It was about, it was interrupted by COVID. Oh, wow. So this started before COVID. Yes, it was before okay. COVID. Uh, and it was interrupted. We had, we had prepped the movie, I think, in, in late 2019. And, uh, it, you know, COVID basically stalled it for a, about a year. So we got into the fall um, 2020. Wow. So you were able to shoot this during COVID? We shot after the first wave, we shot it, yes. How did that feel? I mean, how did that, did that energy affect the project at all, you know, especially with locations and interiors or, you know, I mean, I know sets are controlled environments, but obviously these are crazy times we're living in. Well, it's interesting. It didn't, uh, COVID didn't uh, affect it creatively at all. Oh, beautiful. There are two advantages I had. One of them was I got to cast pretty much everybody I knew. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> Basically, I went down my list of great actors I'd worked with and sort of handpicked them because of obviously we weren't doing in-person auditions or anything like that. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, we never did do a studio shoot. This was all practical locations. So wow. we had great producers that, that put it together and we were all tested and you know, all masked up and, uh, you know, uh, Pretty good. It it doesn't feel like it was affected at all by COVID. I I, I didn't even know it was shot during COVID. You know, I mean, not that I would, but you know, I thought it was incredible. And talk to me. You know, does the production process then for something like this does it become a little bit longer because of of you know crew and how many people can fit, or was that not affected at all? That wasn't affected at all. But 
it costs a little more because you have to pay for testing and, and all of the protective gear and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, the money going on the screen, it took a little bit away, but I don't think the film suffered at all. No, me either. I loved it. It was incredible. And, and, and all these locations, were they the same ones that you had in mind before production? I always wanted to shoot the, um, uh, the small town as my hometown. Yeah, I love that small that, town. That, that was always uh, the case. And pretty much all of the other locations, there was one, I would say, I'm trying to think back, I think it's pretty much all the same locations we picked the first time around. Yeah. And, and so that the bookstore and the diner, are those real places in your hometown? Yes. That's so beautiful. You don't see that, you know, it's, it's a tough time for businesses in this world, but that I love seeing that. And I grew up close to Williamsburg, Virginia, where there's a very small town there. So that's incredible. And, and talk to me about, you know, shooting in the fall, you know, because I thought it just reflected the story so well because fall deals with death and rebirth. And there's a lot of that in the script was that, you know, did, did just because that pocket opened, is that why fall happened or was fall always the idea? It was always meant to be uh, fall or winter. Wow. And it fell, it fell into the fall, but it was perfect because of all the hardwood maple trees in the area, of course, all the spring color or the fall colors were out. And it was, you know, it was perfect. It was, I mean, it was perfectly positioned. And the, and the best part was we shot in a very short length of time. So uh, pretty much consistent in terms of the, the fall colors and stuff. But, um, you know, this was the first film ever or television show or anything to be shot in my hometown of Bayfield. So no way. Uh, we hometown were, hero. Yeah. We actually had, uh, we had full cooperation and the town was fantastic. And the best part was it was fall. So the two busiest months in, in Bayfield, cause it's right on the shore of Lake Huron yeah. uh, is the summer months, July and August. So this was in October. So it was perfect, uh, perfect timing. Oh, is, is Lake Huron the beautiful final scene? Oh, that was so beautiful, man. I love that scene. Talk to me about, about the voice of Nicholas because I know Barry's voice well. And, you know, I'm not saying he went and did something crazy, but he made a really distinct choice about how to play that character because the character is, is damaged. You know, I don't think that's a, a spoiler, but, uh, you know, we're just dealing with some trauma, you know, and, and trying to, was that something that you guys worked on together or was that the thing that he just brought and made a commitment choice? Well, you know, like, like I said earlier, it's, it's important that the actor brings something to the role. Yeah. And I think that that was an internal um, study that he did on his own. And again, I was, I'm not a person that would question that. And, and I think that, uh, yes, it, to answer your question, it is the commitment to the role, but the most important thing was we, we were writing uh, an action thriller and it turned into a revenge thriller. And as a revenge thriller, it's interesting because it's open-ended. Uh, things are discovered in the movie that, um, and resolved, but not fully resolved. Yeah. I was gonna, are there sequel plans? I hope so. We're, Me we're, too. We, um, at one point in time, we're talking about three movies and uh, that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. As the viewer. Yeah. We're all on board for that because, um, this is, uh, a large, he's, he works for a large organization. He's got, yeah, his, his big toe is still in 
a little bit. Yeah. He's constantly monitoring all the operations he had throughout the world. But he felt like he did something, uh, he, he did something that he believes he would never do. But proof was that he probably did it. Uh, but he needed the revenge was to to clear his name. Yeah. And whether he does or not in this movie is kind of up to the audience, but um, he still feels he has work to do at the end of this movie. That's amazing. And and how how long did it take you guys to shoot the film? We did it in 15 days. You did it in 15 days? Yes. Oh my God, Brad. How? How's that possible? With all the action? That's incredible. Well, it takes a, a lot of uh, experience. Yeah, I, what you have? Um, it, uh, it, uh, the shooting style was, is very uh, cinematic, which means yeah. I gave the frame to the actors, let them play in the frame. Uh, and I was very uh, aware of time. And we, you know, again, handpicking your cast and knowing you can yeah. trust them makes a big difference and you can get through it a lot faster. There was no getting to know you period. Yeah. We pretty much all knew each other. And, and every actor, all my actors had such respect for their co-actors. Yeah. But I think they were all, you know, like there was, there, there was nothing going on in the set, but making this movie. No egos. No. Yeah. Yeah. Of any kind. So uh, that helps a lot too. Cause that cuts a few days out right there. Would you, do you feel like because of all your years of episodic directing, you have, a casting director's database in your mind of actors, you know, I'm, I mean, you must it, just from working. You could say that I, 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 you know, it's interesting. I will um, be working on a project like this and I'll, someone will say, well, who would you think for this role? And I'm like, I have to think about it. But once uh, I, I always, when I'm working with a casting director, I always say, can you just send me a list of uh, your thoughts and yeah. who's available? And it's, what's really weird is that I get, I'll, I'll start to look at the list and it'll be, I worked with that person. 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 And I'm like, all of a sudden, again, because I don't have preconceived notions of who's playing a role because, you know, this, this film changed when certain people took the roles because I can't just presume anybody's going to take a role. I have yeah. to talk to them about it and work through it and, and not talk them into it, but say, this is who the character was. I need you to play this character and make it human. Totally. The character is this for the story. And look at all the cool things that this person goes through. Yeah. This will be a challenge for you to play. And if you play it, that's who it's going to be. Yeah, that's amazing. That's incredible. And talk to me about the edit of this, you know, because obviously with, with the pandemic, we still, you know, for example, James Bond and other films that have been ready for so long haven't gone out, you know, was there, you know, as you guys were doing this and, and, and doing the post-production, you know, as the cinema still aren't really at full capacity, but are, are getting much better than where they were a year ago, certainly. Was there a concern about waiting for the pandemic to end? You know, talk to me about, I guess, distribution. Well, I don't know much about distribution, but, but I can tell you that we edited in one, my editor's basement. Wow. Uh, we put the movie together there and uh, Dave Thompson, he did a fantastic job. He, he actually cut the, the pilot of 24. Oh, wow. It's fantastic. All in the family. I love it. Yes. And a really good friend. And uh, we pretty much made the movie, you know, 
you know, directors say you make the movie once when you write it, you make the movie once when you shoot it, and then you make it again when you cut it together. And that was true in this case. Yeah. And, um, and so we made the movie there. Um, in terms of finishing it, um, Company 3, Deluxe and Toronto, basically did all the finishing. And we did it all on Zoom. In fact, wow. I sat in my, um, my home theater that I have in my house, and we basically did all the color sessions. We did all the mixing and everything remotely. That's incredible. Um, so I didn't have to leave my house to do all of that. And we put to get the movie together based on, based on that input. And, yeah. and, you know, I learned my lesson. I can do it remote now. I mean, as long as you have the technology, you can do it remote. They sent me a, you know, a, a link to a, a protected link. And I saw it at, you know, full quality in my basement. Uh, on my TV there, and we did a. I think we ended up making a great movie. But in terms I agree. Of, in terms of distribution, uh, I'm just happy it's in the theaters it's in. Yeah, you know, I'm happy that somebody's going to get a chance to sit and watch in the theater. Um, but the video on demand is going to be great too. Well, that's the game changer, you know. Totally yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And um, you know, going off what you just said, I'm curious. Do you think now, you know, because like we're kind of seeing this in, in corporations that people are working from home. Do you feel like some of these things in, in the entertainment business will stay? You know, for example, like this, we probably do in person normally, you know, like that editing would be, you know, coloring. You, you want to be there. Do you do you feel comfortable, I guess, with where the technology is at and what you can do? It, it really worked in this case. And I think that um, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, I did a little bit of editing on this, but mostly I went to Dave's place because we're friends and we were both tested. So we went and worked one-on-one. -on -one. And that, I think when you're editing, you're going to have to do one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. But when it comes to, like, we, we, did our, we did our sound color and spotting sessions. Uh, we did remotely. But what happened was when Dave and I locked, got the picture locked, we went to Company 3 Deluxe in Toronto, and we actually did a screening of the film with the temp soundtrack and everything uh, for everybody, the composer, the colorist, the, um, the sound mixer. And I did a screening of it in its roughest form, not roughest form, but in its, in its form, uh, locked picture, and then had a quick little chat. And we were all uh, physically distanced and we had masks on. And so we watched the, the film with temp effects and all that stuff. So I was able to like meet everybody yeah. and at least say this is what we're doing. And it was at it was at the low part of the first spike of the pandemic. So okay. uh, it was it was allowed. We yeah. didn't do it, you know, secretly. But I think you need that. Yeah. You need to sort of see people's reaction to the film and, and see if it's working. And then you can do your, you know, color correction. Even the mix we did in my 5.1 um, theater in my uh, house. Yeah. So the mix uh, is great and the music's fantastic. Um, there is a soundtrack um, album being released as well at the same time. Where can people check that out? That's gonna be at, um, it's, um, I forget the name, I'll find it one second. Ask me another question and I'll. Yeah, so talk to me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious you know, what advice would you have now for, you know, 
I feel like the market has changed. You know, it used to be that there used to be like, I call it the middle-class American movie, anything under $20 million. And those movies would succeed and studios would make those. But now the studios have kind of pivoted to only doing, you know, copyright, you know, intellectual property or comic book films, because they'll make a $300 million movie and they'll make a billion dollars versus making, you know, $10 million on a $20 million movie. And I find that to be devastating as an actor and as an artist. And I'm curious, you know, for now, it used to be that people would go to film school and then make their, try to get into Sundance. But now I feel like it's changing where, you know, you're better off directing an episode of of a really cool show and building up that way. And then going from there or developing show. What do you, what advice would you have for filmmakers that are entering the market now? Well, I think I think the, it, you're right. It's it is a very sad situation where we're in a um, you know in a time where you know so much resources are being are flowing into the bigger movies. Yeah. But at the same time, you know that's who that's what people want and are out there you know buying tickets. I'm I'm worried for the independent uh, film Me business. Too. I still think that. You have to find your voice, whether it's through uh, making a small film, uh, you know, somehow, somehow finding, you know, finding your voice with a short film, and then maybe, you know, if you can find the resources, uh, find a, you know, someone to believe in you and make a make a movie based on an idea you had, I, you know, it's hard, it's hard now, but I think, yeah, television has really replaced the independent film. That's what I was getting to. Do you think that is the new independent cinema and that, that is the medium now that has the most power? I think at least. Uh, The, um, the score is being released on uh, a place called movie score media. Amazing. It's all one word movie score media. That's where the soundtrack's being, uh, uh, awesome. I will hyperlink it right here so everyone can check it out. Great. Yeah. Source media. That's amazing. But, but uh, to answer your question better, I think, is that um, I think true filmmakers will still make it through. It's still a matter of following your vision. It's, it's more difficult now because, you know, there's more gatekeepers and independent film is, is hard to get financed and, and get somebody interested in. Um, Certainly uh, through your connections with actors, it's always good to get a, an actor that's got some notoriety that yeah. they're interested in a project. But, um, you know, for the most part, I think developing your skill as an actor through television isn't a bad route. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for that. And I'm curious, you know, talk to me, Brad, what, what's next for you? Well, uh, we're developing with Landmark, the same studio that made the movies. We're, we're de- developing a TV series called Safe Haven. Okay, it's cool. pretty cool. It's about a, a young woman who uh, has two worlds. She's she appears at the beginning of the movie in a coma, laying in bed, and we we explore her second subconscious, which is her the world she's creating in her mind, and at the same time. Uh, dealing with her, the real world, and uh, in both cases, people are manipulating and and uh, uh, basically trying to um, 
find out the mystery on both ends. So it's a it's a very complicated story, but a very uh, very interesting world because there's actually two worlds, and we see same characters in different worlds, totally different. Yeah. In terms of how they are in the real world and how she imagines them, so it's a great character exploration. That's amazing. And how far along is that? Is it still in the writing or is it in development? The scripts are written and we're uh, talking about going into production. In Amazing. September. And the, the reason it's not, we're not shooting it right now is because basically of COVID and like yeah. the, 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 you know, the, on a TV series, it's even more difficult because, you know, there is some more chances, more people coming in, there's more chances. So as people get vaccinated, um, we thought our chances were better in uh, September. So that's what we're, gonna, we're aiming for. That's beautiful. And talk to me about Trigger Point 2 and 3. Is that, is that something that's, you know, in the periphery of, of happening? Or, you know, you have to wait till this one comes out and, and then go from here, you know? Because as you said, it is, it, the ending is, is very much open to the audience. And I'd love to see the story continue. Yeah, we gave, I think we got the audience a good, nice, complete movie. Yeah, no, for sure. And then... And the journey was cool and has a beginning, middle, and an end, but it's got a great, as they say in theater, a second curtain. Yeah. And the second curtain, I think, informs where we can go from here. And uh, it's okay. It's an entertaining second curtain, and it does resolve an issue in the movie, which is all cool. So it's all it all works as its own movie. But as I say, when we developed it, we had a, an idea of three movies, and uh, we didn't want to shy away from the fact that, you know what? Another movie would be great. Another yeah. movie would even be better. So um, the, the plan is to get your listeners. Everyone listening oh, right now. We're going to go. <laughs> the movie theater or video on demand. Get the movie. Watch it. Enjoy it. Comment on it. And uh, we will make another one. But, you know, it's really, it's interesting. It's the same as television. It's up to the viewer. I mean, nobody can say, okay, this this episode or this episodic series is going to go three years. Yeah. No, we do one year. Yeah. And a wish and a prayer. And hopefully the audience is going to make the decision for us to go three years. Same thing with movies. The audience really is in the driver's seat and it's, you know, if you're in, if you enjoy the movie, you know, tell your friends. Ladies and gentlemen, the link is right here. I want you to check out Brad Turner's movie, Trigger Point, starring Barry Pepper. It is incredible. Please leave comments, reviews, IMDb five stars, or 10 stars on IMDb. It's incredible. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Brad, final few questions for you. I'm so grateful for you being on here. Um, you know, I know you had this film during the pandemic, but talk to me. What's kept you inspired? Uh, the, you know what's kept me inspired? My my dear old dad who's passed away many years oh, ago. I'm so sorry. You know, he, I love telling these stories. It's just great. Just great. And, and I think that, you know, what I learned from the business was the visual storytelling. Yeah. And what I learned from him was the voice. And I think that the idea of, I'm a photographer as well. So I, imagery is important. So I always bring that to my, to all of the projects I work on is I try to bring a visual style that really not only pleases the eye, but moves the story forward. Yeah. So that's, that's important. So in other words, if there was, if you had the volume off and you saw one of our, my movies, you'd probably kind of understand what's going on. Yeah. I know what you mean. And I'm curious, you know, going back to, to Brad, that was wide eyed and did that course and sort of ended up working at, at Canadian broadcasting before 24. If, if you could go back 
with all the wisdom and all the insight and experience you have now, what, what would you tell them? I'd tell them, dude, you know, just, and you know, it's, it's cliche to say, follow your dream, but don't, don't follow, don't follow your dream as much as follow your vision. Yeah. And, and, and again, like I would tell an actor, the commitment, you commit to it and you seek every opportunity and you, every task that you are, are, are burdened with follow through and make it, make it as good as you can. And everybody will be successful in life if they follow through on every single task they're asked to do. Yeah. It's a really simple formula. Show up on time and follow through on every task and you'll be successful. Amazing. Brad Turner, from the bottom of my heart, it meant so much and it means everything to me for you opening up and giving back. And you know, if that television show goes, I'd, I'd love to audition for you one day and learn from the sure. best. And you know, you're, you're, you're an incredible visionary and I look forward to all that's to come. Well, thank you, Ryan. That's very nice. Very kind. Yeah. So much love, brother. Awesome. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.